Now let's go before the Lord with a word of prayer. Father God, we praise you for every missionary you've given us. We praise you for the conference that you got us, uh, brought us through and encouraged us all and built us up through. Lord, we pray that the missionaries were encouraged and built up as well. Lord God, we praise you for those hearts that you have moved through these events, through the years, and even this very one, to consider where you're taking them, what you want to do with their lives. Lord, I pray that we would all be in that place where we really want you to have the control of our lives, you to move in our lives by your Holy Spirit, and for ourselves to align with your will, whatever you would want to do with us. Make us tools, make us instruments. In your hand we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. One day, a few years back, I was listening to Air One. Anybody know Air One? It's a Christian radio station. Anybody here know Air One? Nobody? There's, there's an Air One out here too, but I was listening to it back in California. Anyways, there was a soldier who had called in to the radio station, and he had just come home from Iraq. And he had just arrived home to a town called West in the state of Texas where there was a fertilizer plant. And he was so looking forward to seeing his wife after being away for so long. And he was flying home from Iraq. And while he was on his way back, the fertilizer plant exploded. He had no idea until he got home. He came home to find his house leveled, and they couldn't even find his wife. He, he called in, and he told the people at the radio station, I didn't even get to say goodbye. Rejoice in the Lord always. Back in 2001, 19 terrorists hijacked four commercial airliners and used them to kill 2,977 people. In 2007, a massive real estate bubble popped, and a recession hit that devastated the world's economy and, and affected my own family as we personally watched the value of our home plummet right after we bought it. Again, I say, rejoice! Just last October, 11 people were killed and seven were injured when a man opened fire during Sabbath services at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Not that far from us, huh? Be anxious for nothing. How can God tell me that? How can God tell me that in spite of all the tragedies and hardships of life, uh, untimely deaths and disease, financial stresses and lost jobs, broken relationships, floods and natural disasters that kill. How can he tell me to be at peace? Rejoice. Be anxious for nothing. How, how is it possible to reconcile uh, a life lived in joy-filled peace with all the tribulations and trials that seem to pile up on a daily basis for us? The passage before us today is a very well-known passage, very familiar. We knit it on pillows and we memorize the text. But in all reality, we tend to ignore it. We ignore it because it's just too hard to do. 
It simply is not a reasonable request. Or is it? Does God know something that we need to begin to understand? Tonight, we're going to look at a few things. First of all, we're going to look at the call to live joyfully without the anxieties that burden the world around us, living in a manner that contradicts our own circumstances. We're going to look at why. Why we are called to live in such a seemingly, seemingly irreconcilable fashion. And we're going to look at how it's possible to do this. Go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Paul says to us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. So first, let's look at the call that God gives us in, in verses 4 and 6. He says to us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And then in verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing. In those two short phrases, or three short phrases, there's a few difficult words here. They, they are not requests. They are not suggestions. They are commands from God for the Christian walk. He starts out by saying, rejoice. In the Lord always. And that word rejoice, it is a present active imperative. You need to rejoice. You begin rejoicing and you keep rejoicing. No matter what happens, no matter what's coming, it starts now and it keeps going and you must do it. Just in case you missed it the first time, he says, again, I say it. Rejoice. An imperative. Start rejoicing and keep rejoicing. In case he wasn't clear enough the first time, you must rejoice and continue to do so twice over. It is that significant that Paul wants to get this message clearly through to every single one of us. We must, as believers, rejoice. Rejoice always. Then he throws in that one last one. Another present active imperative. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious for anything. Start now not being anxious and keep it going. Great or small, from the life-threatening cancers to the daily trials of taxes and bills, According to God's word, if I say, I am a Christian, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is my savior, I must 
begin to do these things. Seems crazy, doesn't it? It seems as though this, this command completely disregards reality. If I were to tally up all the difficulties of my life, I'd, I'd have to say, no way, this is impossible. Which is, is what we tend to do, isn't it? We tend to ignore this little bit of scripture because it's just too hard to do. I, I know what it says. I know what God has told me, but this is what I'm going through. And yet, this is the way of life that he calls us to walk in. And if God says it to me, and please, by all means understand, I'm not saying this to you. God's the one who's saying it to me and to all of us. If God says it, we can't afford to ignore it. We have got to understand it and live it. So why? Why does God impress upon us as believers such a call, these difficult commands? God says to us, look, there's a reason that I'm calling you to do this. There is a why. I have a reason. And that why we find in verse 5. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. To, to that previous three imperatives that he gave us, to rejoice, to rejoice, to not be anxious, he actually adds one more. He says, be known. Be known. You must be known for your reasonableness. Christians are called to be set apart, completely different from the world around us. We live rejoicing and without anxiety so that everyone around us will see the reasonableness in us. That, that word for reasonableness, it, it means a balanced and intelligent outlook. Having a humble, patient steadfastness which is able to submit even in the face of injustice without a justifiable hatred or, or an angry outlash. A, a calm repose is what we are called to have. A calm repose in spite of our circumstances. It's, it's really that same reasonableness that we saw in Jesus Christ displayed throughout his life and especially in his trials and right at the cross. Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Being spat upon, being beaten, being nailed to a cross, mocked, 
so he opened not his mouth. His, his reasonableness was so clear and, and incomprehensible that Pilate was greatly amazed, is the words that are used in Scripture, greatly amazed at his composure, that Christ could stand before the man who could have him crucified and not worry about an answer, not have to justify himself before him. Our call here is to be like Jesus. Are we amazing the world around us? Are, are we amazing the world around us with our composure under trial? Or, or do we come across to them as having not only the same trials, but also the same anxiety and loss of joy when those trials come? Does our character in Christ tell people that we have been saved, that we have a greater future, that we have something to look forward to, we have a new reality? Does our character in Christ tell people these things, or do they look at us and, and, and see who we are and say they ain't been saved from nothing? Our call is to be like Jesus so that the world will see Christ in us. So let your Christ-likeness shine for all to see. We have a good reason to answer the call that God has given us to rejoice, to rejoice, and not be anxious because we need the world around us to see Christ in us, right? And we need to understand that in this process of shining for Christ, where do lights shine the brightest, in the daylight or at night? At night, that's why they put out street lamps, right? They shine brightest in the dark. If God removed us all from the world, where would people see Christ? If God removed every tragedy and trial from us the minute we were saved, we wouldn't really have the opportunity to shine for him in a fallen world, would we? If we're going to shine, we have to be left in the dark where we can shine the brightest. God has left us in a dark world very much on purpose. And God uses those terrible things in our lives to, to mold and to shape us and then for, his, for our greatest good and for his greatest glory. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And according to James chapter 1, God uses the trials to mold and shape us to become more like Jesus Christ. Do we see that in the trials? Or do we just see the trials? Are we willing to see God's hand at work in our lives? Or are we just keeping our eyes on what's wrong? Jesus put on display a calm, assured reasonableness for our salvation. We do the same that others might see him in us and be saved as well. We live differently 
because Jesus has purchased for us a new reality. This world is not our reality any longer. We have an eternal future in Christ. We have been seated in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ, right? That language is here and now, we have been seated with Christ. And we can start living our new reality here and now. And we are called to start living our new reality here and now so that the world will see it in us. God gives us a hope, doesn't he? A fantastic, amazing hope. He, he gives us the call to live with joy in spite of our circumstances. But he doesn't just call us to it. He gives us a good reason to do it. To put Christ on display in our lives for the world to see. But, but he doesn't just leave it there. He gives us a, a how as well. He reminds us that he is at hand. These are some very, very significant words. Look at me at, at verse 5. The second part of it, it says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If Jesus is at hand, he's alive. If Jesus is at hand, he is risen. How, how deeply does that resonate in our hearts, or is that just something that we've been trained to say? How deeply does that affect who we are? Do we, that, that risen Savior, that knowledge that if he is risen, he has conquered death and the grave just as he said. That is... That knowledge is too wonderful for me. The Lord is at hand. Have you ever had a long week at work or at school? Have you ever had that, that trouble with a co-worker or a friend going on at work or at school? That, that unwarranted criticism of a project that you've been working on and you've worked hard on it and it just gets bashed and, and uh, people are saying, oh boy, they don't know what they're doing. Whatever it might be. And you know what? It's only Monday. And then you have to go to work on Tuesday. And Wednesday. And Thursday. But you wake up on Friday, right? And all of a sudden, you're like, it's Friday, right? It's, it's Friday. All of a sudden, there's a spring in your step. Why? Because in just a few more hours, the weekend is arriving, right? It's almost over. The time for rest is almost here. It makes work easier. You go into work on Friday, and whatever happened this week, it's no problem, because, hey, it's almost over. Have you ever had to do something that you just don't want to do? So you call up a friend, and you say, would you go with me? Simply having them there with you makes the task easier, doesn't it? 
Just, just having that company, just having that person there makes it easier to endure. I, I ended up getting into a new office at our previous church, and, and that, that new office was dusty, and the carpet was icky, and, and so I'm like, icky is a technical word for yuck. And so I was like, okay, we need to remove this carpet. I need to get this out of here. So I called my friends. It was not a task that I wanted to do by myself. I called my friends Kurt and, Kurt and Roger, and Roger couldn't do much because of his health, and, but just having him there. Just having Roger there talking to us and keeping us going, his company alone just made the work easier to get through. In these verses, God reminds us that the Lord is at hand. He is near. And our our rejoicing is not in our circumstances or in my ability to control or, or overcome what is happening around me. Our rejoicing is in the Lord. Verse 4, it said, rejoice always. Got your Bibles open, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord. Having my focus on Christ not on my circumstances, on Christ, I rejoice. God wants us to live in a way that contradicts our circumstances and our tendency toward a sinful, self-centered nature. Not in a way that's, that's silly or giddy or a smiley denial of what's going on around us. Our rejoicing is not in ignorance, but in spite of. Our rejoicing is in Christ, and and Christ has replaced myself as my source of joy. I don't rejoice in myself or my ability to overcome what's going on around me or to do anything about it. I rejoice in him. We live in a way that contradicts our earthly circumstances because this way of life actually lines up perfectly with our new spiritual reality. In Christ, I have another life, a blessed one, one that is secured for me, sealed by the Spirit of God, eternal, without end, with no more tears, no more trials, no more tragedies, in heaven, before the face of God, worshiping, living. The Lord is at hand. These words, they ring with a a spatial and a temporal quality. Temporally, God has an eschatological plan. He has a plan for the end. And guess what? We know the end of the book, don't we? Everybody read Revelation? We know the end of the book. God has told us the outcome, and the victory is ours in Christ Jesus. And his return, his return is imminent. Revelation 22, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city. By the gates. You see, we're on Friday. We're still at work. 
but Saturday's right around the corner. The Lord is at hand. Rejoice. It's the end of the week. The pain is almost done. could be done any day. Let's remember that. In a spatial sense, the Lord is at hand as well. God is physically near us. And it reminded me of the disciples. In, in Matthew 8, we have this great story about what Christ did with the disciples. It says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? While he was here on earth, the disciples had Jesus just an arm's length away. They could reach out and touch the hand of God. Doesn't that sound like a privilege? Doesn't that sound wonderful? First John, chapter 4. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. If you think having God an arm's length away is great, Let's all be reminded of, of what we have in Christ. For us in Christ, God is not even an arm's length away. Rejoice. Because in Christ, God's own spirit lives in us. And it is not a spirit of fear. It is a spirit of power. One that can carry us through the worst of circumstances. Because we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if the worst thing should happen to me and I should fall down here, if a gunman should come in the door and shoot me down, I have life. Perfect life. Eternal life. I need no fear. I need no anxiety. Let us rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. The God of all creation, come in humility, but risen with power and authority. Look at, at chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. It says, because of what Christ did coming in humility and going to, to death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus, that God is living in us. And he will not keep the storms of life from coming to us, but he will see us through them. 
just as he never left the disciples' side, he didn't stop the storm from coming, but he saw them through it, didn't he? And he cares for us. Verse 7 of our passage, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God cares for us. He will guard our hearts and minds. Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord is at hand. I love that God doesn't just leave us with the thought that he's close and, and that should be enough, so we should just be satisfied. But he reminds us to bring our trials and our troubles to him. Verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God has made himself readily accessible to his children. Anywhere, anytime, any trial, anything, we get to interact with God. We get to boldly come before his throne. Prayer is our tool of peace. And you can lay your heart out before him. Whatever it might be, he can take it. God is big enough to take our finite troubles on. Psalm 13 is just a fantastic psalm declaring this very truth to us. King David comes before God and he says, How long? Oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider him and answer me. Oh, Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice 
in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We have trials, we have hardships, we have difficult things that we deal with on this earth, but we have eyes opened by God's Spirit to see a greater truth, don't we? That whatever's going on in our lives, whatever the hard thing is, God has dealt bountifully with me. He's given me a salvation I never deserved and could never earn. He's given me a reality and a new life and a new citizenship in a heaven that is not mine. I didn't create it. I didn't make it, and I shouldn't go there. But he, he's opened the door for me through his son, Jesus Christ, and through Christ alone. We can bring our hearts before God just as boldly as David did and we through the blood of Christ. And as we get our focus on Christ, let's remember that we don't live as those who have no hope. Paul reminded us of our citizenship and hope in, in chapter 3 of Philippians, verses 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. As we set our eyes on Christ and, and rejoice in him, well, let's not be those who tally the hardships but tally the grace of God in our lives, doing it with thankfulness, the, the undeserved salvation, his gracious and merciful provision daily even. How many of us are wondering if we're going to get breakfast in the morning? Praise God. That is a grace. Let's look back on those milestones of events and challenges that he has already seen us through. And remember that he is a God who is faithful, who is at hand. Our joy and our peace rests in our hope. And God has given us proof and evidence of that hope in the resurrection, hasn't he? Knowing that one day soon our hope in Christ will become our reality, for the Lord is at hand. In the meantime, let's answer the call to live out our hope right here and right now. This book of Philippians is all about perspective. It's all about having the right perspective on life. Seeing life in this world through our, our life in Christ. Letting that play itself out in our lives. How? By setting our eyes on Christ and rejoicing not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, but in him. Coming before him in prayer, laying our hearts out freely. Remembering he is right here with us, and he will see us through to our real citizenship with bodies that are no longer fallen and tempted to sin. Why? Because living out our hope that seems so contradictory, it presents the world with the reality of our faith in Jesus Christ. Knowing that our Lord and God has called us 
to live differently. Let us rejoice because God has graciously changed the outcome of our lives. If I call myself Christian, I must. If I truly know Christ and what he's done for me, I will. Let's pray. Father God, you, you have laid out some very difficult things for us in your word. And Lord, we still at times feel so very fallen and so very unable to take care of what's around us and deal with the circumstances and the trials and the hardships. But Lord, you, you are able. You are omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. We praise you, Lord, that you are not just present, but you are present in us. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, you abide in us. And so we praise your holy name and we thank you for this truth. Lord God, we give you praise and we just ask for strength to live out this command to rejoice, to rejoice always and be anxious for nothing. Lord, we pray for fruit to be born from us living this out, for, for the world to really see Christ in us, and Lord, for perhaps someone to come to faith because we have decided to align ourselves with your will and be tools in your hand. We, we pray all this. We lay it all at your feet. We ask for your help, all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.